Relatively Geeky presents Doom Speak. Astonishing Tales 2 and 3. And I know, I know, it's been a long time since we've had some Doom content on the network. Rest assured that I have been properly chastised by the Latvian Council of Podcast Discipline. And fear not, it has been made clear to me that such a doom drought shall not happen again. Now, before we get to the most astonishing parts of Astonishing Tales 2 and 3, those featuring doom, let's go over some astonishing feedback. I mean, technically it's Doom 2099 feedback, but you know what I mean. You are all astonishing. Last episode began Doom's tenure as U.S. president as a result of his, I mean, not election. I mean, you know, if you want to be technically speaking about it, but um, let's go with his uh, sort of more or less takeover of the country. And Ranger Gord, while standing on guard for thee, got right to the controversial element. It is scandalous of Big Comic to charge so much to view the grandeur of doom. $20.99? Almost $21 U.S.? That's outrageous. That's like a 20-liter pail full of Canadian loonies. I do not have any idea what many of those words mean, Gord, but I'm sure that I completely agree with you. Not to mention a scandalous 8,396% increase of the standard world benchmark of one American quarter. Why do comic readers and dimly disciples forced to support the bulging pockets of Stark, Namor, and Forbush? I say thee nay! Calm and reasoned articulation of thoughtful points, Gord. You make us proud. Billy D. From the Brave and the Bob wrote in, Hey, Prof, solid episode as usual. Enjoyed the Doom talk and what followed. I'm in complete agreement with everything you said, plus I'll add one thought. Part of the problem in society today, and it's leaked into comics, is that everything has been politicized. People think helping your neighbor is political, or getting a medical procedure is political, until all those shenanigans stop. I don't see comic books changing. And also, if someone's moral compass is directed by politicians or pundits, I feel bad for them. Basically, what I'm saying is that I'm getting to the point where I welcome President Doom, hashtag Hail Doom. I feel you, Mr. D. I feel you. Vic and Phoenix refer to the key elements of my analysis by posting an I'm just a bill meme. Hail Doom and Hail Schoolhouse Rock, Vic. And Sir Luke commented as well, Professor, wanted to give some quick feedback about your recent episode of Doom Speak, covering the first two issues of the President Doom storyline. I've heard about this story for many years, and remember it getting attention in Wizard and Comic Shop News when it started. The concept is audacious and immediately piques one's interest. 
I will be curious to see if Ellis and company stick the landing. As an aside, when Doom made his statement about a lack of veto from the Senate, I literally said out loud, that's not how a veto works. Luckily, I was alone in my car at the time. Yes, Luke, sometimes it's best that we express ourselves in a response to podcasts, you know, when we're by ourselves. <laughs> Regarding partisan politics and their place in comics and comics fandom, I want to say you are dead on in your assessment of the long history of political content in comics, as well as the trend for readers to demand that their media reflect their own politics. The most irritating aspect to me is the popular opinion of, well, if you don't agree with my political take in the character, you've never understood them in the first place. I find this to be a reductive, elitist argument, typical of comic nerds whose heads have swollen with their own importance based on their number of Twitter followers. Unfortunately, it's much easier to simply dismiss those who don't share our views rather than actually having to gasp, interact with them. I have long stated that my approach is that all of us are made up of a series of adjectives, and that I would rather focus on the adjectives we have in common rather than the ones which are different. And if we have some different adjectives, why not use that as, as a chance? Why not use that as a chance to ask questions and learn? Thank you for giving a shout-out to Earth Destruction Directive regarding inclusivity in the kaiju scene as in the comic scene. Folks from all walks of life participate, and differing thoughts, opinions, and viewpoints are valid, even if I disagree with them. Of course, there are some strongly held beliefs which are simply appalling and incompatible with moral right-thinking people, and despite that, I am still somehow friends with a Tottenham supporter. Hashtag, come on you irons, to which I will add, in North London will always be red. Anyway, Luke continues, looking forward to hearing about the Doom administration, as well as following along with Astonishing Tales. Thanks, and hail Doom, Luke. Thank you, sir. I respect your open-hearted approach. As long as that Spurs supporter, I mean, as long as their name does not rhyme with Carrie Hayne, then I think you and I are going to be okay. And then moving away from comments related to the English Premier League of Soccer, <laughs> and to hear from our court physician, Sir Dr. Ange. Very meaty episode, Professor. Thank you for both the comic coverage and the discussion. Some points about the comic. Taking Doom out of Latveria and installing him as president of the U.S. is a bold choice. It also is risky. It also doesn't sound like Doom. When you make a huge change to a character, it better be damn good. I always point to Alan Moore, making Swamp Thing a true plant and not a mockery of a man. You could make James Bond asexual and a pacifist, but is that still James Bond? Here, I think Ellis had an anti-American story he wanted to tell, and he bolted Dr. Doom onto it. Kudos for him for the throwbacks to prior stories. But this doesn't necessarily sound like Doom. It reminds me more recently of Tom King's work. He has stories he wants to tell about trauma. 
he overlays it on characters who may or may not be well served by that. Mr. Miracle is suicidal. Supergirl is drunk, angry, and depressed. Ice as a murderous femme fatale. If these aren't tremendous stories, they don't work. Even worse, if they stick, they potentially ruin a character, at least for a time. Now on to the idea of politics. In comics, yes, comics have been in politics forever. But it felt like there were a few rules. One, they were usually told as allegory, mutants, as stand-ins for marginal groups, for example. Two, when told straight on, stories about anti-Semitism or poverty or wrongful conviction, they were infrequent. For every one of those stories, you had a hundred stories of Superman fighting Terra-Man or the X-Men fighting a giant pinball machine. Third, as you say, it was nuanced or matter-of-fact. It wasn't ham-fisted and partisan and angry. I buy comics to read stories about bigger-than-life heroes fighting supervillains. I read them to be entertained. More and more, I feel like comics are preaching to me, often from the viewpoint that I'm the villain. It's so one-sided as to be silly. It isn't entertaining, and it isn't fun. It just means it's easy for me to stop dropping $5 a month on something like that. Perhaps that is why my pull list is growing smaller and smaller. Stepping off my soapbox now, (laughs) Ange. Thank you. And I know that as distressed as Ange is by Tom King's take on Supergirl, the even worse part for him is how popular that take is. But remember, Ange, we'll always have Melissa Benoist. And Gene Hendricks from the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network commented that the last part of the analysis was well done. Thank you, Gene. That last Doom Speak episode received social media support from Al Sedano, Pat Sampson, Rob Myers from the KISS podcast Right Between the Eyes, Chris Willette, Shane Kelly, Keith G. Baker, Sir Manuel Carmone of Truthful Comics, the kind and lovely Sutherlands, Karen from Between the Pages, James from Karen, Alex Najako, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us. Jeremiah, the notorious JJG. Professor Frenzy, the Telltale Mind. Dave's Comic Heroes blog. Ed from Teal Productions. Chris Lydon 7. And Derek, Derek WC from the Fan Holes podcast. All right, let's begin our discussion here of these two half issues of Astonishing Tales, although, to be fair, we will mention in passing here the Khazar stories as well. So, to some extent, we will be fully covering both Astonishing Tales 2 and 3 from Marvel Comics, of course, cover dated October and December 1970, respectively. And we need to start with the covers. And we see some real progress over the missteps of the first issue. Yes, it's not perfect. The title for both issues still have the characters in the wrong order. They say Astonishing Tales featuring Kazar and Doctor Doom. Similarly, the corner boxes have the decapitated head of Kazar 
above Doom's glorious full-figure portrait. But look, it was more than 50 years ago, and back then our sensitivities were such that, of course, the blonde guy will have pride of place over the member of a despised Central European people group. However, with that limitation, we do see, as I said, some progress. The cover of issue one, as you certainly recall, was split horizontally with the top half showing Kazar. And our poor put-upon Latvian leader was relegated to the bottom half of that page. But here... In issue two, the cover is split vertically down the middle of the page. So the left side shows Kazar battling Craven, and it's 40 floors straight down for the loser. And the right-hand side shows our master of menace at the mercy of the doomsman. Nice. Like I said, a lot of progress is being shown here. Now, clearly, by the time they got to issue three, they were receiving feedback on the first issue. It's one of the few advantages of a title being on a bi-monthly schedule. You can adapt. You can adjust in a quicker way, quicker at least in terms of issues. Because yes, here it is. The cover of issue three is again split horizontally, but this time they have corrected their significant error from issue one, because right there on the top half of the issue, although, let's be honest, and I am not making this up, it's the top two-thirds of the issue, is our main man revealed at last, the secret of the faceless one. And then squeezed in towards the bottom, plus, Kazar finds war in the Savage Land. So the covers are definitely on the upswing here, no doubt about it. Hashtag Doom Ascendant. That is our theme for today, friends. Now, when we start each of these issues, we do get the Kazar stories first. And I do have a bit of a story about that. I am reading these two issues from the wonderful 1,300-page collection, The Book of Doom. And I can only say to those of you who have children that I sincerely and truly hope that once in your life, a kid of yours gives you a present as awesome as this present, which Em gave me last year for my birthday. But I also have access to some scans of these Astonishing Tales issues. And I have no idea who scanned these or when, but... In the PDFs, the Doom stories are placed first, which is definitely the more appropriate way to go. It all seems to make sense as you're working your way through the file until you get to the Kazar story right there in the middle of the scan because the Kazar story has the indicia on it on the bottom of its first page because originally it was the first page of the issue. But props to that anonymous scanner for correcting Marvel's mistake in the original ordering of the stories in these issues. Now, I don't hate Kazar, so let me talk very briefly about the Kazar stories here. In issue two, Kazar, in all his shirtless glory, 
heads to Craven's 40-story building in New York for a chat. Because last issue, Craven's big cat buddy Zabu was taken by Craven. But Kazar has a certain set of skills. And he runs Craven off and finds Zabu, who has actually been saved by someone who now needs Kazar's help, the Petrified Man. In issue three, the three of them, Zabu, Kazar, and the Petrified Man, return to the Savage Land where the Petrified Man is not exactly welcomed. It seems that he's had a violent past there. But they gather forces to fight off the real big bad in this area, Zaladane, she who leads the Sky Beasts. So I think it's important to thank Kazar to recognize the importance of an opening act. And we want to thank him for serving here as uh, the support performer for Dr. Doom. It is time now for Kazar to leave the stage for we all know who the star of this episode is, the star of these comics. So after this promo break, we will be back to talk about some of Doom's astonishing comics. Hi, everyone. This is Corinne Norton, host and sometimes narrator of this brand new podcast, Finding Fantasy Reads, where I find amazing fantasy short stories to share with you so you can then find your next favorite author. I wanted to start this podcast because I wanted someone to weed through the hundreds of fantasy authors and handpick the good ones for me. And then because I'm super lazy, I also wanted someone to spoon feed me short stories so I could sample the author's style for myself before reading their full length novels. When I realized no one was going to do that for me, I decided to turn around and do that for everyone else. Every week, you'll get to hear a new fantasy short story. At the end, I'll be sure to share how you can find more of their stories if you like what you heard. I hope to keep the episodes between 30 and 60 minutes, but fantasy authors can be long-winded, so don't hold me to that. In fact, the very first episode will go a little over an hour, but I promise it will be worth it. And speaking of the first episode, keep an eye out for it on June 6th, which is when the podcast will officially launch. I will be limiting the stories to clean fantasy because I want to keep the non-explicit rating for the podcast and because I have four kids, and at least two of them are going to want to listen to this. Because clean can be defined a number of ways, I'll try to give you a simple comparison for how I'm defining it for the podcast. Language will stay in the G range, romance or spice might creep up to the PG range, and violence might get up to PG-13. My goal is to explore all sorts of subgenres within the larger fantasy genre so we can all experiment together. As I said before, I'm Corinne Norton. I'm a reader like you, but I'm also an author of epic fantasy. My first book won't be released until later this year, but I promise at some point I'll be sharing one of my own short stories on the podcast. If you have any questions, they're probably answered on FindingFantasyReads.com. You'll also find information there about our monthly giveaways, which is something I'm super excited about. Thanks so much for checking out Finding Fantasy Reads. I expect that we're both about to discover a ton of amazing new stories and authors. And we're back. The story in Astonishing Tales number two, Revolution, was written by Roy Thomas with Wally Wood on the art. We start 
In the aftermath of the attempts by forces loyal to ousted Prince Rodolfo to overthrow the results of the most recent Latvian election, Victor von Doom asserts his command, telling his forces to seek out remaining rebels, as well as the living android. You remember him, the Dooms Man? Let any man shirk his appointed task, and he shall answer to Dr. Doom. Down in the dungeon, where Rodolfo deserves to be, he reveals to Ramona that the faceless one is behind a lot of these goings-on. And then he rips the bars out of his cell, not because he's been working out, but because he is a robot. Which is disgraceful, really, this deceit. What could drive a person to replace themselves with a robot for an extended period of time just for the purposes of deceit and trickeration? No, I don't abide this practice. Wait, what's that? Really? No. Are you sure? Okay, anyway, never mind about that. It turns out it was a robot who abdicated the throne and crowned Doom, which seems to be a very minor particular bit of technicality that the Latvian Supreme Court should not even worry their pretty little heads about. An overly aggressive Doom bot blows up the Rodolfo bot, which means that Doom can learn no more from the twisted debris. However, down in his secret cave, the real Rudolfo has heard everything, as has his mysterious alien benefactor, the Faceless One. Named because his head is pretty much just a shiny golden ball, not too different from Mysterio, in order to put an image in your mind. And he has no face. Through his sky-spanning omnisphere, the Faceless One has seen the Doomsman wandering the countryside. A creature of tremendous power, of latent genius. The Doomsman has just wandered across the eastern border. They don't say Simcaria, but let's assume it was Simcaria he just wandered into. Wherever it was, he was attacked by the border guards, but like a raging, wrathful juggernaut, he knew not the meaning of fear. The Faceless One's plan is to use Rodolfo to lure the Doomsman back to Latveria and to talk him into joining their conspiratorial cadre. They find him and bring him in. We are your friends, the only ones you have on all the planet. We will help you learn how to live in a world you never made. Meanwhile, Back at Castle Doom, Dr. Doom lets Ramona free because it is beneath him to imprison a woman. I mean, it's beneath him to continue to imprison the woman who he's already imprisoned any longer. And then he adds in a jaunty tone, but do not seek to escape if you value your life. Doom is off to search for his missing Doomsman. Seeing a holstered weapon, 
Ramona contemplates killing Dr. Doom, but realizes that over anything else, she cannot become a killer. But it was all a trick anyway. The gun's firing mechanism has been removed. Now go! Rodolfo's resistance army is armed with laser weapons from the Faceless One and are sent to attack Doom's castle. While Dr. Doom repels his attackers, the Faceless One flies his spheroid ship into Castle Doom with the Doomsman. Come, my unspeaking ally, he who holds the Castle Royal, holds Latveria. Realizing this odd bit of Latverian law, Dr. Doom flies back to the castle to fight off the Faceless One. And by fly back, I mean... He is absolutely triumphant in all his Silver Age glory. With a jetpack and a ray gun, Doom has never been more awesome. Battling the Faceless One, one one-on-one, both realize that neither can pierce the other's force shield. As they banter, the Faceless One admits that he's using Rodolfo's resistance army to achieve his own ends. But with the two equally matched, the Faceless One commands the Doomsman to enter, which he does in a completely Kool-Aid man manner. Oh yeah. Despite being ordered to destroy Doom, the Doomsman hesitates, like one torn between two masters. If he has turned against me, then this is the day of Dr. Doom's death. Next, Conflagration. Although, actually, to be technical, the story in issue three is in fact titled Doom Must Die. Written this time by Larry Lieber, with art again by Wally Wood. For the first time in his reign of infamy, his power is challenged. Members of Rodolfo's resistance army continue their attack on the palace. The wait has ended. The revolution's begun. Within the beleaguered palace, we pick up with Doom squaring off against the newly independent Doomsman, who now seeks to destroy Doom along with the Faceless One, who wants to take over Latveria for his own nefarious purposes. I say nefarious because he wants to overthrow Doom, and that seems to me to be pretty darned nefarious. Fortunately, both antagonists misunderestimate Dr. Doom, not knowing that he could mentally control the Doomsman, which he could for two important reasons. One, their brain patterns are identical. And two, he's freaking Dr. Doom. So he turns it against the Faceless One. And he does seize the alien. And then things get a little loopy. You remember how I described the Faceless One as having kind of a spherical head? Well, it turns out that that dome was actually the thing's whole body resting on a constructed humanoid fake body. And the head thing... It skitters away on, like, little spider-type legs. Assuming that this was done in the Marvel method, Wally Wood 
just knocked it out of the park. It's completely creepy. The fake empty body now just self-destructs, actually catching Doom off guard, which allows the faceless one time to escape. The master of menace turns his attentions again to Rodolfo's army and easily dispatches them. Behold, dolts feel the savage thirst of naked energy. Oh yeah, Doom. Oh yeah. But he finds himself being bombarded by antiparticles. Who? Who? The image becomes clear. It is the faceless one back in his ship. But on his way to comic book obscurity, the alien fires one last time. And as the enraged monarch turns to flee, two more of his own incredible weapons fire forth, piercing his force shield and casting the armored figure adrift on a sea of electronic waves. He's gone. We've won. The battle is ours. Nah, he was just almost gone. So projecting a red-hued hologram of his glorious masked visage all over the kingdom of Latveria, Doom repeats that none may defy him with impunity. He reveals that the castle lies on a fault line and he is preparing to start his earthquake machine. The Latverian leader destroys his own kingdom, forcing the resistance and the entire citizenship of Latveria to flee as every structure is shaken to the ground. Back under his own control, the Doomsman tracks his creator to his secret cavern base. Doom again exerts his willpower, rendering the creature motionless. Referencing his classical education, based on a curriculum steeped in the great books, Doom abandons his plans for an invincible army, like Dr. Frankenstein. I would be devoured by my own creations. And with that, he was done creating androids and robots forever! Nah, he was just almost done. And then on the last page, the doomsman pays for his treachery with a one-way trip to another dimension. There, until I deem otherwise, you will remain in exile. Which is pretty much where the doomsman has remained ever since. Realizing that this, his first solo adventure, really needs a monologue to bring it all to a satisfying close, Doom decides to deliver one. The android can trouble me no longer and the faceless one is gone. Yet other enemies will come. Other battles will be fought. But no matter who the foe or what the danger, victory will be mine for now and always. The Awesome end. Now that, my friends, was an action-packed 20 pages. Now, every manner of storytelling, every manner of pacing a story, has its good points and bad points. When something moves this fast, as fast as this story did, be it a movie, 
or a novel or a comic book. What's lost is the time for the reader or viewer to absorb what's happened, to digest, to consider. Now, that's how comics tended to be done at this time, 1970. But still, I count the pacing here as a bit of a drawback. Because this had a lot of cool stuff going on. Doom versus the Triumvirate of Rodolfo, the Faceless One, and the Doomsman. I don't know, maybe one villain too many? It was a bit overstuffed. Thus, you get some important moments squeezed into small panels, sometimes at the very end of a page. And you get scene shifts in strange places, sometimes on the last or next to last panel of a page. It's really not the best way to structure comic book stories, I think. But let's make sure we mention one extremely positive thing. It's something we said when we covered the first issue. So between that and here, we now have three straight Doom stories, issues one, two, and three, with nary a mention of a certain overrated foursome in blue. This story, warts and all, demonstrates that Doom can hold a story together on his own, and historically, I think, that's important. I don't think I mentioned this in the synopsis, but in case you've forgotten from when we covered issue one a number of months ago, Ramona, the woman in the cellar in the dungeon with the Rodolfo robot, she was the Valeria lookalike working with Rodolfo. And that just makes for another character to be accounted for in these scant 20 pages across these two issues. Again, it is a lot going on. Now let me say this in terms of Wally Wood's art, at least his design elements for sure. One, the spider legs on the faceless one. Wow, loved it. And the faceless one was a solid antagonist. I'm not sure if the hope was to try to build a rogues gallery for Doom, you know, this early, or if this character was just intended for this story. Now, speaking of the Faceless One, his next appearance is the infamous story involving Doom, Luke Cage, and a check for services rendered that somehow just got lost in the mail. I covered that storyline from Heroes for Hire 8 and 9, along with Sir Luke Giaconetti, on Billy D's network, Magazines and Monsters 52, from around Halloween 2022. But back to Wally Wood's designs. Now, I am not one for action figures generally, though I do have a dozen or so featuring our lead character of this podcast. Fear not. But the ones I've come across, or the ones that have been given to me, it's not like I was dying to have this one specific figure or anything like that. I've never been looking for the one exact piece, one specific version. That's, that's what I'm saying. Except for now, because that has totally changed. Doom with a jetpack. Professor Needs. 
I love me some Adam Strange. I love me some Doom. These are two great tastes that taste great together. Uh, moving away from the art, which I thought was excellent, let me talk about the uh, the writing, specifically the change in writers between issues two and three from Roy Thomas to Larry Lieber. And frankly, I think that change does weaken the second issue a little bit. But seeing as all Lieber had to do was finish up the story, complete the scripting that Roy had started, it more or less worked. Certainly the Marvel method helps here, Wally Wood brought a consistency to the visual storytelling, no matter who was putting the dialogue boxes in there. But generally, I, I just think of Lieber as of a stiffer, more old-fashioned, workmanlike writer. Few flashes of greatness, just average comic book writing for the era, or maybe for the era before this. And every time I read a Larry Lieber story and am tempted to rant about nepotism, I remember the fact that we wouldn't ever have had his brother Stanley if not for nepotism. So I give Larry a pass on his writings. And as an aside, I also think I resent Larry Lieber for not being the excellent sci-fi and fantasy writer Fritz Lieber, creator of Farfit and the Grey Mauser and writer of of a wonderful sci-fi story, Sanity. Now, Fritz Lieber is not related to the comic book brothers, Lieber. His last name is spelt differently. Sorry for that brief tangent. Now, I'm not sure what to make of the destruction of Castle Doom and its nearby surroundings in issue three. I didn't like it, but it did lead to a great scene of a giant doom hologram over the city. Because here's the thing. Like a supermodel, doom knows in what situations and what angles he looks best. So like a model knows what their best side is, doom knows what his best move is, his best pose. And it's not the smize. It's not the vogue. It's the loom. The man just knows how to menacingly loom. And this is pretty much the effect portrayed by this giant hologram. Again, wonderful design choice. Beautiful bit of art. One thing I'd like to see down the road is like an Untold Tales version of this story. I'd like to know the Simkarian take on all this. I'm sure that's been pitched somewhere, sometime, but I'd like to see what Silver Sable and the Wild Pack thought of this uh, brief incursion into their land. And no, again, the story does not say Simkaria. And I didn't even check, but I, I, I don't believe that nation has even been name-checked here in Marvel by 1970. So like I said, it would need to be a revisit of the story, a retelling, but I would like to get that perspective. And then at the end, we have Doom sending the Doom's Man, the Latverian version of the Phantom Zone, a fitting end for his kind. And let's all be honest, the prototype had to go, because Doom bought is such a better product name than Doom's Man. Definite 
improvement in the branding of this concept as Doom moves forward with this product line. A lot of people don't give Victor enough credit for his marketing expertise, but it's an area of strength for him. Trust me, as a visiting adjunct professor of marketing and branding at Latveria State University, I know what I'm talking about. And I think that's pretty much what I have to say about this pair of issues, wrapping up the first storyline for Doom in Amazing Tales, his debut appearance as a solo hero. Some might say solo character, but they'd be wrong, because we know the truth. Solo hero. And it was a good first solo outing. The issues I had with pacing were more reflective of just how comics were created back then. Not the biggest deal in the world. So much else in here ranged from the good to the very good. I would recommend you take a look at these issues if they ever cross your path. And with that, we have wrapped up this storyline, but I do plan to get back to this title. Back to Astonishing Tales again soon, issues four and five. I hope that'll be sometime later in 2023. There is another Doom storyline I hope to revisit later in the summer, but we'll see about that. Some of the schedules, some of the details are a bit up in the air. But next time, or maybe the time after that, my friends of old Doom, but sometime, I promise, before we return to this title, we will be going back, back, back to the future with Doom 2099, issues 30 and 31. If you have any feedback on this episode, on these issues, on Astonishing Tales, The Doomsman, The Faceless One, or anything related to the good doctor, the rightful ruler of Latveria, don't hesitate to contact me. You can do that via email at relativelygeeky at gmail.com or as a comment on our Facebook or blog post for the episode. The blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening. Take care. And hail doom. Hail doom!